Thank you for tuning in to the Routed Cards podcast on RoutedCards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno. And today we're going to talk about, um, well, just stuff in the hobby. And well, actually all this, actually, this entire podcast is going to be dedicated to this stuff in the hobby. Sometimes we talk about sports. Today we're just going to jump right into the hobby stuff. So uh, the Nationals coming up this year in what's summertime 2019. Everybody's looking forward to it. That's going. It's planning on going. It's going to be in Chicago this year. Great venue for the National. I really like the Chicago venue, the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. Got me thinking about a story that someone told me uh, back in 2010. I was working at a shop back then, and the owner had a friend of his um, whose uh, Conseco collection I had auctioned off for him over the course of that year and into 2011. And... Um, <laughs> He was telling me that this guy went to the National with him when he was younger. And uh, on the first day, first hour, first booth he visited, he spent all his money. <laughs> God. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's amazing. Like, he must have had some really good stuff. But, you know, he was a Conseco collector, so I guess he bought a bunch of signed bats at that time. And ba mm -hmm. signed bats are not cheap. I mean, they're, they're, they can be expensive, three figures yeah. to start. So um, I just remember thinking about that and being like, gosh – I, I don't know what I would do if I get to the first day, first hour, first booth that I visit at the National, and it had, you know, one of the big cards I've been looking for for a long time, and it required all the funds I brought to the National. Now, my, now I've thought about this before, and my, like, a situation that I would, you know, deliver would be I would spend all my money on that one card because I went there just to buy cards. So what better than to buy the one card I've been after, or at least one of the one cards I've been after for a long time. And then I would just spend the rest of the, the week, you know, creating content for my, for radicards.com or, you know, shooting video or interviewing people. I, I've thought about this. I have. And so I don't think it's bad to do that. If it's something you absolutely have to have, you find that first day, first hour, first booth. Ryan, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I've gone through phases in collecting where I have very specific goals and where I have very general goals. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm in that sort of general category. So I think going to a national and busting my entire budget on the first booth is probably something I wouldn't do right now in 2019. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I was heavy player collecting, you know, a year or two ago, I, I could see that happening. Um because there are some cards, I mean, it's it's crazy how sports cards and the internet, it's such a incredible thing to sink your teeth into. Yeah. There's so many people out there that have all these amazing items, but there are some cards that just don't surface. Right. They just never do. And it's so frustrating because you think, but I have the internet on my side. I can, you know, I can find anybody, I can find anything, but you can't. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, to, to cut, to, to, to like, piggyback on that someone you know i used to hear th people say things about the national like if, you, if you've never seen it before you'll see it at the national that is actually untrue okay there's a lot of stuff at the national but not all of it okay there's a there are a lot of stuff on my top 10 list my, my most wanted frank thomas list that i don't see at the national they're just too darn rare to find and even online i might see you know one encounter in 10 years you know i mean more recently there's been more encounters of one specific car, the Mirror Gold. There have been a few of those that have surfaced over the past year and a half, but they've all gone for serious figures. And so 
I've been, it's kind of bad timing sometimes for me for that stuff, but whatever the case is like the national being the biggest gnarliest convention I've ever been to for cards. My favorite one by far, hands down. There are a lot of great shops and shows and little conventions peppered about the country throughout the year. And I love them all, of course, but at least all the ones I've been to, but the national is unbeatable in that capacity with just general, like, um, dealer turnout, uh, attendance, participation, availability of just content it doesn't have everything but darn lots of stuff and so mm-hmm. i i really like that about the national and and you know if i get to a first booth first hour first first day on the national and i brought say two grand let's just say and the guy has a mirror gold and he wants two grand for it i wouldn't even think twice i would just flop over the cash i might try to negotiate down a bit but if there's no room for negotiation i i wouldn't have any problem spending my entire budget at that very time because it's like i mean think about it if you turn this into the last hour of the last day in the last booth you visit at the national and it has that guy has what you're looking for and you've now spent a good chunk of your budget and you you wished you would have seen that to begin with that's the situation where you think like gosh had i seen this early i would have bought it so really you'd be saving yourself the headache by just buying it outright that first day first hour first booth visited so this is kind of an interesting thing to think about, you know, because we, we save up all year to go to the national. We wait all year to go to this thing. We look forward to it all year long. We get home from the national and then we're like, can't wait for the next one. And so it's the national is just such an important interaction in that way. And it's like, what do you go for? What's the goal? You know, I had a conversation with someone recently. I, I, I told this person, I was like, hey, I've, I've seen your website. She's like, Oh, I need a new one. Huh? I was like, no, it just depends on what you want your website to do for you. If you want your website just to be a single page that markets what you do, then you don't need much more than or anything more than what you already have. So it's like if if you want to go to the national to like hang out with colleagues, meet people and just talk to dealers and stuff. It doesn't matter when you find that card that you're looking for, if it's the first day, first hour, first booth, or if it's the last day, last hour, last booth. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're there to if you're if your experience is just more experiential in the sense of interactions, then when and when and how you find something is sort of of less importance to your goals. Now, if you're there to buy, also too, this might also accommodate that need too because you're there to get rare cards, and if this one interaction presents you with an ability to get something really high end and rare, why not? You know, why not? So I just want to talk about that because I think it's when I first heard about this story in 2010, I was like, gosh, I can't imagine spending the rest of that day and the rest of the national without any money. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a somewhat similar story, not with the national, but I was at a convention in Long Beach um, last September. And at the time, I know we, me and you were talking about the 93 Jeter SP. Rookie. Oh, yeah. And so that was sort of my goal at the time. And I think literally the first booth I walked up to had a great example of that card uh, was essentially what I wanted to pay for it. But I knew it was basically going to blow my budget for that day. So I just went for it. And I ended up picking a few other odds and ends throughout the day. But I was super happy just to sort of be like, well, it's 10 a.m. I already have my card. <laughs> get it done. <laughs> yeah, get it done. This get is going to be a, kind of like a less stressful situation in the long run. Right. Totally. Um, obviously, the national is a much bigger time and financial commitment because you're most likely traveling and you're staying in a hotel. And yeah. It's a multi-day ordeal. But, um, you know, I, I can relate to 
to just kind of going for it on, on the first day in the first hour. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to do it. And you know, the thing about that um, that Long Beach show, I've been to that many times. They're little like side panels and things you can go to and attend. They're mm-hmm. fun. You can like watch live auctions for rare coins or, you know, yes. it's like little. So there's like little other educational series that, that take place while that show is happening. That's a fun show. It's a three day thing. It's fun. I, I've, I've been to it many times. And that was the first show actually I've ever been to that I've walked out not spending a single dime or a single penny. <laughs> And that's happened to me multiple times at that show. And so it's like, usually I go and I try to get something, but that show was the first time where I was like, oh, I, I can't afford anything or I can't find anything I want. <laughs> because it's a coin and stamp show. It's less of a card show now. And so, and the cards, the, the dealers that exist are like high-end auction houses, most of them. So it's a good place to take photos. I was able to hold uh, a Joe Jackson card with a red border. It was like 90 grand. I held that. I held the uh, Napa Joy from Gaudi. I held one of those. It was a really high-end one, too. Uh, I think I held either the Eddie Plank or the Sherry McGee Error um, as well back in 2012 when I first went to that thing. I really liked that show just for taking photos. Those are it's a good time. So cool stuff. I'm glad we got to talk about the, uh, the national first day stuff. Let's move on here. You know, in a previous podcast, we talked about the Ronald Acuna Super Fractor Auto that was pulled, like, right when he made the Rookie of the Year award. Do you remember that? And so um, that card had, it was, the picture of it had the card in a top loader with the top sticker folded over the the top. And I originally thought that, you know, and it might still be a redemption card because I don't know if Topps sells those stickers to just consumers to use. You know, um, and so I, I just always assume when I see top stickers over the tops of, of cases, they're they're the redemptions mm-hmm. that that top sends out when you pull the redemption card in a pack. Oh, I got the Ronald Kuna Super Fractor Auto, and that's what the the that's the card that that they they get, and it's got the 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 top sticker over the the top. I don't I can't confirm yet factually what the that the reason for those stickers are beyond just knowing that they're produced by tops. Um, and are they used just for redemptions or do people use them for their own collections? Ryan, do you know more about this at all? I don't. And I think at least personally, there's some confusion because I always associated the top sticker with something that you buy from tops vault. Right. And because I purchased a handful of things from tops vault over the years, and those are the only items in my collection that have the sticker on it. Right. And I've also had redemptions over the years. And if I recall correctly, I never got a sticker on the redemption. So perhaps their policy has changed. Um, but it is a little confusing because I always associated the sticker with something being a little kind of extra special in a way. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I, I really don't know. Maybe we can get a rep from tops in the podcast sometime <laughs> real answer. I mean, I, because look, this sticker is why I assumed the, uh, Acuna super factor auto was a redemption. It might not be a redemption. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know factually. So, um, uh, just kind of like a correction and dialogue from a former podcast, just to be sure that I'm not, you know, I'm fact checking myself to make sure I'm pr- producing or uh, providing solid factual information here. So this is kind of up in the air for me because I'm still learning about why the top stickers are used on certain cards. I don't know if the Acuna Superfractor Auto was a redemption. So 
anyway, I just wanted to cover that because I think that's just a good touch point on something we discussed um, uh, some months back. So I want to move on to this other thing here. Uh, Ryan, you remember a while back we talked about a 2011 Bowman Chrome Orange Auto Goldschmidt, Paul Goldschmidt yes. selling for 250 Yeah, I think I, I was the one that made us aware of that situation. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I honestly think that that was a potentially illegitimate copy because I've seen a few quote unquote illegitimate copies of that card and they used and some of the auctions are using the same photo that that auction used. Yep. You know what? And it, I'm glad that we were, we were able to talk about this today because I have been thinking about that mostly because I've been shopping for trout stuff. Yeah. Uh, from that, from 2011, like 2012, you know, and earlier uh-huh. and there's a lot of reprints out there and most of the auctions make it aware. They say this is a reprint. That's why I'm charging you five dollars for it. Right. Um, but some don't, and it got me thinking about the Goldschmidt thing. How that was such an anomaly. Yeah. If you look at other sold listings for that card, I mean that card. That's a huge card. So huge, huge. Uh, and two fifty. I mean that's maybe two dollars and fifty cents. But <laughs> you know that's it's unfortunate whoever ended up with that card. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. Is it? We remember we talked about this before. Is it like there's a there's a, there's a very distinguishable difference between reprints and counterfeits? Okay. Yeah. These would fall into the latter category. Okay. So, uh, you know, and we talked about the hobby. It's like you know they're gonna find unscrupulous behavior almost in any spectrum of the world, and so the hobby is no different. You know, collectibles mm-hmm. are especially no different, and so. Um, I just was looking at that auction. I was like, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that's the legitimate, authentic, pack issued autograph version of the card. But I, I don't know factually. I'm just like looking at this from like a, okay, the reason why I bring this up is because I saw another auction with the same photo and it said it was a reprint and it sold for, you know, some amount of money that was less than 250 And because I saw the same photo being used, the same exact photo from this auction, I, it got me thinking. I was like, this one was probably sold as a quote-unquote reprint. Yep. You know, I, I can't think otherwise because people who have cards this big usually know what they have. You know? Yeah. It's like the guy that comes into your shop and he's got a stack of really nice cards in nice condition, and he doesn't care what he gets for them, and he doesn't know what he has. You can pretty much guarantee they're stolen. <laughs> like, like yeah. I don't care. They're just, I don't know what they are. Just what, what do you get from me that's like a stack of mantles, you know? <laughs> like. Yeah, it's definitely suspicious. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I mean, if you if you go on eBay right now and, and type in Mike Trout reprint, there are tons. And there are tons. And, tons. I mean, Topps has legitimately reprinted yeah. his famous 2011 rookie card. Yeah, totally. So, like, if you want to buy a reprint, which I've I've thought about doing, I still think a reprint is still a little significant mm-hmm. because it's such a big card. But yeah, the counterfeit stuff is just so shady. I mean, there's there's counterfeits of the 2009 Bowman Chrome Trout. Right. They have like a facsimile autograph. Um, I mean, it's just so super fake. Um, And those are all over eBay right now. Yeah. Like if you're listening, just be careful, do your homework. Uh, Don't be afraid to ask questions of the seller, you know, PM them, ask them how they acquired it. uh, How much you might even ask how much they paid for it. and, And also respect their decision not to share that information with you because some people don't like to share that information. So with me, I embrace some reprints of some cards. Like I just like that Topps produces a reprint of a card. They might change like the border to blue, like in twenty, yeah, twenty thirteen Bowman blue sapphire reprints. 
And there was a whole line of like reprinted cards that were famous Bowman Chrome cards. And they reprinted them all in blue um, uh, 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 chrome. And they look great. I mean, Topps did a great job producing that set. That's a legitimately decent le like card to have because it's produced by Topps. Mm -hmm. it, it is, in fact, a reprint, an, an official reprint. It's not. A, it's not a counterfeit. It's official reprint, and they're you know they're they're affordable. So if you can't afford the original one, and most of these cards are affordable anyway, but you know if you want to get like a var variation of the card, this is a great set. 2013 Bowman Blue Sapphire. It's a cool set. I like it. And so they're just reprints of cards that have been produced in the past. They say reprint on the back. Um, if you bought in 2013, you remember the set. I, I just happen to like some of the stuff Tops Tops reproduces year to year. Um, this year they've got the iconic rookies. And there's a bunch of different classic cards in that set, and so and there, those are actually you know authentic reprints as well. So, is uh, that yeah, Top's flagship product? Yeah, Top's flagship, and and you can get, you know, you can get the Strasburg Top's card as a reprint, and there's a bunch of others that are classics throughout the many years Top's has been a brand. So uh, definitely check that out if you're interested in getting you know throw some variation in your collection. That's kind of cool, and it's affordable. They're affordable, and there's also a. Uh, a 150 parallel that you can get of those reprints as well. I I, I got I picked up the Strasbourg base and the and the parallel just because you know why not? They're cheap, and so yeah. Anyway, just do your homework. If you see something that looks like it's not really produced by Tops, it's just somebody reproducing something that was originally produced by Tops. Just be very wary when you see something of such a good deal. You know that's such a high dollar card. Um, Sometimes it's good to pay market because you know it's it's you know it's real, right? That's one of the indicators that it would be real. Um, anyway, just want to touch on that, Ryan. You have any you have any comments on that one? Nope. Uh, I think, well, maybe maybe one thought. Speaking of reprints, from what I remember, the Honus Wagner T two hundred six, you know, probably the most legendary card of all time. I, I believe there is a somewhat sizable market for reprints of that card yeah people because buy them it's, because it's such a huge card and I, I think people buy them knowing they're reprints and you know maybe you want to display it in your office or in your home or something uh just because it's such an iconic image um i guess it'd be like buying a, a print of a famous piece of art to display in your home yeah and it's um, cheap like, you, you know, know it's not real but it's, i just love that card or i love that piece of art so right. I'm just going to buy this affordable reprint or buy this affordable print and, uh, you know, have some sort of, uh, connection to it as opposed to just not have any, anything. Yeah. I mean, there are a bunch of great uses for that kind of thing. And, but the, the first benefit to having one of those as a reprint is it's like, they're, they're very, very affordable. You're not having to spend a million dollars, multiples of millions of dollars on the original. You can have a reprint for a couple bucks, and then you can put it in a case and throw it on your desk or your office or on your mantle or a backdrop on a video or whatever. And you can use it as, like, fodder, right? It's, like, extra, extra stuff, uh, like um, bells, you know, just extra just throw-ins for things. And that's fine. Um, that Sporting News Babe Ruth card where he's pitching, you can get reprints of that as well for just a couple bucks and that's another one of those things like most of us don't have a couple of hundred grand to spend on a low grade copy of that card you know but we do have like 10 bucks to buy a reprint of it or five bucks or whatever i've seen many of those out in the wild um people don't sell them to me i, I think it's because some of those are fakes they're just they're just flat out fakes 
I don't know if the Paul Goldschmidt will ever get to that point. I don't know if fake trout rookies will ever get to a place where they're <laughs> embraced and people want them on their mantle. You know, but like the T206, the Sporting News uh, Ruth, I think those cards will have a special place in the hobby just because, you know, people appreciate having something that they can't, having a version of something they can't have the original copy of. And that's, you know, there's, there's something to be said for that, I think. Absolutely. I, I think uh, given the right price, I, I would be interested in a, a Honus Wagner reprint just to kind of like have in my desk or something. I mean, it's just such a cool piece. Um, like, why not? Yeah. And there's a bunch of different ones that have been produced over the years by the companies. And so I've got one in my T206 low grade run. That I just I bought just a the classic issue that was produced in the early 90s that, that talks about the card on the back and its value. It's got a little red block and then the back is, is white and it just discusses the, the two things and it came from a set that has all the cards that are like that they're all you know they're they're cards that talk about the players and that, that it's like a commemorative set and then they have some stuff on the side that are just reprints of classic cards and the, the wagner was one of them but that's just one of many that card's been reproduced many times so there are a lot of different versions of reprints of that to a six card so anyway, I'm glad we got to talk about that. That's kind of cool to talk about these kinds of things just to kind of like touch base on some of the stuff we discussed previously and to kind of, you know, uh, roll it into the next next couple of things we're going to be discussing here. Interesting thing happened recently. Now, baseball cards are are found, you know, big finds happen through in the hobby and they're 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 covered. Uh, you know, you got you might remember the Black Swamp find from 2012. Um, there was the 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 Lucky Seven Ty Cobb find some years ago. And then recently we have what's called the Beer Box find. Yeah, Mile High Card Company. I've bought from them before. Uh, they received a call from a gentleman who had found in in the attic uh, a bunch of unopened or nearly complete boxes of old sports cards. So get this. Here, here's a list of stuff that, that's, been dis, that's been discussed or covered. Near complete box of 1948 Bowman. Now, I don't know anybody who's ever seen even a pack, a sealed pack of this stuff, right? This guy has a near-complete box of 48 Bowman. That's like, I guess the valuation potential before auction is half a million for that box just by itself. It's huge. Huge, huge. And I guess the packs, they're thick because they put three pieces of bubble gum in there instead of just one. <laughs> it's pretty. Jam, jam the bubble gum in there. You know, I guess the, the, the thing was to, to, you know, drive a sugar rush to get the people to buy the product. There you go. So that was cool. Next on the list is an unopened box of 1961 Fleer basketball. Now, Ryan, I know you have some experience with this set. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was collecting it for a while and unopened packs. I, I came across, somewhat frequently and um they fetched a pretty penny and i always thought that if i if i completed the set i would look into an unopened pack just to sort of round it out in a way um but they were always super expensive you could get them graded there's yeah. some crazy graded examples of this gigantic psa plastic case um so yeah it really kind of an interesting um eras we're spanning here because like 48 bowman to 61 fleer basketball um i'd love to know the story of behind like maybe this person owned a uh like a convenience store or something and it was like overstock that they just sort of threw into their attic and forgot about or if they were actually interested in sports cards i mean 
it's it's kind of a you always hear about attic finds and it's usually like a specific like i found a set of this specific from a specific year from a specific sport yeah but um we have you know all the three we have football baseball uh, and basketball well, I, so so the the article from Forbes, which I'll link to in the blog post, if you want to read more about this, um, I guess the the late uncle that owned this, he operated a he owned and operated a confectionery company that produced non sports bubblegum cards of popular TV shows in the late sixties. I mean, I'm reading this right. I'm reading this right now on the article. He bought some sports cards in their original yeah. boxes for for R and D purposes. And and he 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 and he probably considered opening them at one point, just never did. And so right. here we are with the product, and it's you know significant. So yeah, and the next box here is a near complete box of '62 Topps football. Now, if you're not unfamiliar with this set, it's got the Fran Tarkenton rookie. That's the big one. Obviously, the '61 Fleer basketball. You've got the Wilt Chamberlain, uh, the Jerry West, and the what's the other big one in that? Oscar Robertson. Yeah. I mean, there are, uh, there are yeah, a lot of big names in that set. Yeah, there are a bunch of big names in the basketball set. So if you think about what you've got here, it's just um, a very rare occurrence of some stuff most of us never get to see in a lifetime. I mean, I I don't know when I'll see another uh, piece of coverage on a 48 Bowman box that's nearly complete. That 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 might be a once in a lifetime thing. It's going to do well at auction. I'm 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 certain of it. All three of these items, and if whatever else is in the uh, the collection, I, I I'm only aware of the three pieces here, but. Uh, really cool stuff, you know. Next big find. I love seeing the finds; they're so cool. So, if you, let's say hypothetically, if you were someone with the means to go out and bid on this sort of thing, would you um, open the packs at all, or would you just sort no. of buy it as it is? You got to remember what we're talking about here. These are endangered species, my friend. So, yeah. forty-eight Bowman, like you keep that intact. <laughs> you do not open that stuff. I, I wouldn't. What I would do is just hang on to it and then resell it in like. 10, 15 years again. I would keep everything intact. I might even grade the packs, have the pa all the packs graded or, or have the, the whole the whole production of the box graded or something. Have it like authenticated or something to really like certify the thing. Um, and then I would list it in a high-end auction house like, you know, some sometime down the, down the line. Same with the, the, the rest of these boxes here. I just wouldn't open them, you know. I, oh, an, an open box of 61 Fleer basketball, it's like super, super rare, mm -hmm. you know. I think what was the guy was saying that that um, uh, a pack of an unopened pack of forty eight Bowman basketball fetched fifty five thousand two hundred in a memory lane auction. Oh god! Single pack. Wow. So, um, and you know these packs are so rare. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ha dare to open them. I think about vintage wax as like something we should just all respect to keep sealed as it is. The rest of it, whatever's left of it, you know, because it's so rare, you never see it. If you can just, we can keep some of this stuff intact and unopened, you know. We can enjoy you know, these cards no matter because they're all available online 24-7, 365 in a perpetuity. Exactly. Why open this stuff and see the same stuff you can see find online all day long, you know. And that's why if you do what you said that you would do is, you know, just hold on to it, sell it 10, 15 years. You can take that money if you're sincerely interested in the 48 Bowman set or the 61 Flair Basketball you can take that money and go cherry pick whatever card you want from that. Set. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can turn this around to get whatever so card like, you, you want in the set or the box, or the packs or whatever. You don't have to wave goodbye to those cards and definitely just, you know, if you really want one and you don't want to ruin the integrity of an unopened pack or an unopened box, sell what you have, 
and buy the car that you're interested in because I I, th I agree with you. I don't think it's right to to go ripping these things and uh, to leave them how they are. And uh, if if you're really interested in a specific card, like you said, there are thousands and thousands of examples of these on eBay. Yeah, I mean this stuff belongs in like a museum. So I, I think like touching and tampering and opening, I think what you're doing is you're damaging artifacts. I, I look at vintage wax as, as they're, they're in the artifact category, the legendary status category of rarity, you know, like, dude, let, let them, let them be, <laughs> you know, leave them alone. <laughs> if you want singles, go to eBay and buy singles, leave these, leave these packs alone. Well, we might not ever see another box of 48 Bowman ever. And so uh, I, I just, I, I don't know. For me, I, I, I had this preservation mindset with the old stuff. You know, how do we keep it intact? That's why I don't peel cards. You know, yep. I, I keep things intact. And that's important to me just because it's, I like things factory. I just want them to be completely factory as much as possible. I don't even open post packs that come in the cereal boxes. I just leave them all intact. Uh, but anyway, I want yes. to touch on that because... Uh, like and to your point about we've never seen this before, when I was reading this Forbes article, which I implore everybody to do, super interesting. It is. The first image that pops up is of the 48 Bowman box yeah. with the packs inside. And at first, I was just sort of glancing over it like, oh, that's maybe just like a stock image that the somebody threw up there, like some random old baseball cards. But I was like, oh, no, that's actually what it looks like. Yeah. I've never seen one before. And so it just it never registered. Like, I've seen old 50s tops packs and boxes because those are around and um i've seen pictures of them online but i've never seen a 48 bowman so it just didn't really click in my head how significant it was until i read the the description of the of the image um and i'd be surprised if anybody else has actually seen something like this too i mean this is like Ultra, ultra fair. Super, super rare. It doesn't even say Bowman on the box. It just says play ball, yeah, bubble play gum. Ball, bubble gum. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it's just cool. really, really amazing stuff. And so, you know, in the current market, we all throw away our boxes once we open the packs. We throw away the wrappers. We throw away the boxes. But if you fast forward 100 years and you, you someone finds your collection, you know, we're gone, whatever, and someone's going to be like, oh, my gosh, a 2019 Seal box of 2019 Tops baseball. You know, what was the last time we saw a pack of this? You know, it's like, like I think like that sometimes. Like, what is produced now could potentially become valuable way, way, way down the line. And so I, I'm not, I myself, I'm not buying wax and hanging on to it. But, you know, some people might. Some people might be collecting this stuff, you know, buying a sealed pack, a sealed box. And it might be nice to hang on to this stuff just for, you know, your kids sake or whatever, you know, whoever you will your collection off to or, or, or whoever and, and have instructions on how to sell this stuff. Um, but I just want to talk about that because we don't see boxes of this. is The first time for me, it's seeing a box of 48 Bowman. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what packs look like. And so, um, yeah, I just want to talk about that. Um, Dan actually forwarded this link to me. Cool stuff. Let's move on here. 1989 Upper Deck was an interesting year. Obviously, everybody knows it's the first year Upper Deck for baseball. And they did a lot of test runs of this product. They're like multiple printed cards and like there's panels. There's like a there's like a, a panel of uh, cards you can get with with uh, Dwayne Bice. 
And uh, Dwayne Bice and Wally Joyner were the guys featured on the, the actual promo cards that were produced for the set to like market the actual set. And there are variations of those promo cards. That's a you know, story for another time. But recently, a panel with four cards that, that includes the Griffey surfaced, and it's authenticated by BGS, and it's signed by Griffey. And the panel is on eBay uh, for just south of 600 bucks. And, you know, I think about this, and I'm like, gosh, first of all, the panels are rare. It's it's authenticated and it's signed by Griffey on on the key card in the set, the like one of the most iconic rookie cards of all time, and I'm thinking you know five ninety five might not be that bad a deal, and they've got a best offer option. I'm like that's 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 a pretty cool piece. If I were a Griffey collector, like still, I'm sort of a recovering Griffey collector because I collected him in the '90s with Thomas. I always collected Thomas a little more, but I, it was Griffey and Thomas for the two guys I was collecting in the '90s. So if I were still collecting Griffey. I, I'd probably try to find a way to get this into my collection because it's such a unique item, such a unique piece. Mm-hmm. So, and you also have Luis Medina, <laughs> De Los Santos, and Ron Jones. Sorry, I'm reading upside down here. Right, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'd only be getting it because it's Luis Medina's rookie card. Yeah, I mean, the Griffey stuff is cool, but come on. <laughs> Luis Medina. I know. And I like uh, this This panel. It's still got the uh, the print lines, like the cut lines on it. Yeah, super cool. I wonder what um. So obviously it was cut from a larger, yes, piece. Of course. And I wonder if that's what's turning some people off to it, because I, I I agree with you. Like for this price, if I were a Griffey collector, which there are many Griffey collectors out there, I mean I'd be all over this for that kind of price. So if you if you look at the back. Uh, and I'll link to this in the blog post so you can see it if you want anybody who's interested. If you look at the back image of this thing, you can tell it was this a scrapped sheet because the holograms don't line up. Oh, yeah, I see that now. So this would have been essentially garbage. And so um, somebody grabbed it and like, yeah, go and cut this panel out and have Griffey sign it, you know, whatever. I think it's cool. I like it. It's nice. Nice little item to have. Kind of a kind of an interesting piece. It's something you don't see every day. I mean, I've seen a lot of sheets of '89 upper deck throughout the hobby. I've got one of my I've got one in my own collection of Dwayne Bice. Um, anyway, just want to talk about that because these '89 upper deck panels and these these weird obscure versions of these cards are available. They're out there. I've seen a lot of them. Uh, I just want to touch on this one because this is an you know it's a really iconic rookie card, and it's presented to you in a very kind of unique way. So, cool stuff. The other day I was uh, surfing eBay and saw a in a related search, it was the 2010 Topps Chrome Super Fractor Auto of Giancarlo Stanton. If you just want to see what this card looks like, um, just you know, click on the link below in the, in, the, in the article, and you can take a look at this thing. It's really cool. I'm not in the market for this thing at $40,000, but I think it's a really nice piece, and it's good just to at least archive a scan of the thing. Just a cool item. I'm a big fan of the 2010 Topps stuff, though. I just think the design was really done well that year. Yeah, this is a pretty legendary set. Yeah, uh, tons of big names. The the bin is a, is a bit high, in my opinion, but he's he's a superstar at the moment. Yeah, uh, I have some of his rookie stuff, so I'm I'm hoping it stays that way. But um, gosh, I mean, even if I were a Stanton 
super collector. I'm not sure I'd be in on that for that price. Well, I mean, it's a huge asking price. It is, but to be fair, they do have an offer on there, and so that's yeah. nice. So I don't and know. I'm sure, the seller's getting a lot of offers right now. Yeah, I don't know where this would go if it hit auction though. Like, where do you think this would if 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 this ran a nine cent auction with like you know no yeah. reserve? Where do you think it would end? For like seven, ten days. I mean, I would say maybe between like the eight and ten grand. You think that high, really? Yeah, I mean, I, I always multiply any Yankees player like by two or three. <laughs> whenever I'm thinking about what a car could go for, right? You know, I, I always think of inflation a little bit that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he was still playing down in, in Miami, that might be a different story. What do you think it would go for? See, Straight I'm, off. I'm in the thirty-five hundred to five thousand mm. bracket. I don't, I don't think this is a five-figure card. I think this is a four-figure card, but I, I, because it's a modern superfractor and he's been playing for a while, and this is one of countless numbers of superfractors, you know, I, I just look at the superfractor market as it is today, where it stands, and because there's so many superfractors out there, it's hard to pinpoint and make a big deal about any one of them, if that makes sense. We ha if, okay, so here's the thing: is it if Mike Stanton were if this were a 2019 Bowman Chrome? Superfractor Auto of Mike Stanton, and this was his first year playing ball, and this card just surfaced, and he's, you know, we're like halfway into the season. Yeah, I could see huge dollar figures, like, like you were saying, eight to ten grand. But because this is now a nine-year-old card, he's been playing for nine years. Yes, he's found in other products before 2010, but this is his rookie year card, not his prospect card, you know. And so I just see that like the hype around this card wouldn't be where it could be if he if this were 2010. Does that make sense? That's yeah. why my valuation is between like 3,500 and five grand. I just don't. I, be, I have a hard time believing it's it's gonna it would cap beyond that. I would also be more interested in the 2008 Bowman Chrome. Oh yeah, Stanton rookie. If I were really gonna go after a big Stanton card, that's where I would start. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, 2010 is clearly a great example. It's a classic set, mm -hmm. um, but. If I had the kind of money to afford the card we're talking about, like why not go for a big card from 2008? Because that's seriously, that's the real Stan rookie. Right. Um, I mean, if you want, if you want the first time he appeared on cardboard, you know, it's licensed by the MLB MLBPA. The, the 2008 Bowman Chrome is going to be the one you're going to want to go after. Yeah. And those yeah, are signed as well. Gold. There's a 20 2008 uh, gold autograph that sold. What was that? It was a best offer. They were asking thirty two hundred bucks for it, so they they probably settled, you know, just below that. But oh, I could tell you, I could tell you what that uh, what that sold for if you give me a second. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's 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 going to be the official quote unquote rookie card of Mike Stanton. Not rookie year. He hasn't come up yet. He hadn't come up yet at that time. There is a distinguishable yeah. difference between rookie card and rookie year card. And the gold from '08. Uh, is numbered at a 50. The super factor from 2010 is obviously numbered at a one. Why? So there's there's a big difference there, but uh, the gold is still super rare. 2150 bucks. Okay, so 2150 on that that gold auto refractor. And I've seen like other. I th I want to say I've seen like an orange one. Yeah, I saw an orange one some years ago. I don't know what it closed at. Like I don't I don't know what the closing price was on the the orange one, but I've seen. Versions of this, rare versions of this card, rare parallels. You know, uh, PWCC sold a an X-Fractor of that card for 
$1,000, which is more expensive than the even more elusive, much more elusive gold parallel. Granted, the uh, X-Fractor was a PSA 10. The gold refractor was a BGS 8. So you've got the condition difference. Now, to me, cards like this, and I talked about this before, rarity sometimes vastly outweighs any significance condition would ever have. Like certain, there are certain instances like I don't care that it's an eight. Don't even care. I've been looking for this card for 10, 15 years or whatever. And the guy is, it's selling, it's an eight. It's a, it makes it easier on me budget wise. You know, I almost prefer that it's an eight and not a 10 because then I have to spend like five figures on the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in this case, I would prefer the gold refractor at 2100 over the X fractor and a 10 at 2400. I could save a few bucks and I get an even rarer card. Yeah, because it's like slightly OC or whatever. I don't care. I can still enjoy the card for what it is. It doesn't have to be perfect, you know? So, anyway, here's me blabbing on about this stuff. (laughs) Anyway, I just want to touch on those points. Thanks for joining me, Ryan, for this podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for tuning in to Radicards Podcast and Radicards.com. And until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.